This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, June 23rd. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, county considers housing sites. Eyes to ears with Bella Eatman. Social media, like it or not. And a mountain weather forecast. Buckle up. We're going on a tour of San Miguel County, and there will be stops along the way. Notably, says County Manager Mike Bordonia, we'll be checking out any county-owned sites that hold some significant potential for deed-restricted development. That's right. We're looking at spots where the county might develop some affordable housing, specifically in the vicinity of Telluride in Norwood, and primarily for county and municipal workers. While some of the sites being considered could provide housing for a broader community of workers, Bordonia continues. We knew that our towns, the county, our emergency services, our local schools and stuff all have a significant need for housing close by the Telluride region. And so that's mostly the focus to first house our own people and then house those other essential workers in the east end of the county. San Miguel County recently received a significant grant to evaluate its various properties and figure out which ones should be prioritized for housing development. Using criteria such as proximity to the main employment center of Telluride, connections to transit, livability, and potential for density, a consultant graded a half a dozen county sites on their suitability for development. Last week, county commissioners heard the report. The first stop on the tour is right here in town on the corner of Colorado Ave and Aspen Street behind the Angel Baskets food pantry. The county owned the parcel, says Bordonia. And originally we were, the thought was, where could we sneak in some housing units on this? Since that original thought, we've been having some discussions with the town of Telluride as they have expanded needs for office space for their uh, operations, so does the county, about potentially working together to create a combined town and county office type building on this site. So while this parcel gets high scores for proximity, connection to utilities and livability, being right in town, it seems it might be set aside as a municipal building rather than housing. Moving down Valley, the county considers two parcels, one near the sheriff's office in Ilium and another adjacent to the county road and bridge buildings at Deep Creek. Building some housing beside the sheriff's office comes as a priority, as many office employees, says Bordonia. Coming from as far away as Dove Creek, Nucla, and Delta, and so then they're having to, um, when there's inclement weather, they're not able to get home, or they have you know, 12-hour shifts, and then they're um, needing a place to sleep, and there's a a pretty significant need for the sheriff's office uh, for on-call housing. On to Norwood, the county considers three parcels scattered around the village center. The approach to housing in Norwood might be a bit different, given the nature of the community. Out there, Bordonia says, I didn't feel like there was a rampant demand for high density. You know, it was more people want a place where their whole family can live a little bit more spread out. We also know that we don't want to turn this, it, it is outlying of the town of Norwood. We don't want it to feel like a small city or 
or a high density. In the assessment for overall development potential, one of the highest scores goes to the site currently operating as the Pathfinder Gravel Pit, located below Trout Lake near San Bernardo. Developing Pathfinder has long been a priority for the county, and the consultant, Jim Keough, is already working on troubleshooting utility and water needs at the site. Keough reports, If things go well with the water and the sewer, uh, it, it could be early next year that we might, but you could, you could put this in, into schematic design. Thus concludes the tour of county housing options. In future meetings, commissioners will begin to dial in on specific sites and choose which ones to fast-track. They've already chosen to prioritize Pathfinder. By way of conclusion, Commissioner Lance Waring remembers the advice of a former colleague. And I'm also recalling uh, Commissioner Cooper's parting words on her way out the door, which were, sooner than later we want to involve the community in those discussions and be able to receive input from other minds. Opportunities for public input, commissioners agree, will be included in next steps. Life doesn't feel like a straight line, and this week on Eyes to Ears, Telluride High School's Bella Eatman leans into the abstract. Have a listen. Good day, listeners. Welcome to the Kodo program known as Eyes to Ears. I am your host, Bella Eatman, and I visit local art galleries to find paintings to describe to you. Earlier this week, I visited the Slate Gray Art Gallery. They were showing a vast display of abstract pieces, and today I will describe one painting known as Emerging by Judith Cohen by simulating the potential process of creating the piece. For most of this piece, we will only need black, yellow, and blue paint, along with a square of cardboard to act as our stencil for the piece. Mix the black, the blue, and the yellow to create a dark pine green. Use the cardboard to create multiple rectangles all around the canvas in a random fashion. However, the rectangles, just a little bit to the right, seem to have formed their own doorway-like shape somehow. Never mind that. Let's use the last bit of blue and yellow paint for a more splashy effect. Still using our cardboard square, a quarter of our splatters of blue and yellow will be blocked off, leaving a slight bit of cleanliness to the piece. Lastly, take your painter's knife and leave a few thin lines of maroon, white, and teal, swirling, twisting, flying their way from the doorway we may have created from dark geometry. That is the best I could make of Emerging by Judith Cohen. It has been a bit of time since I last described something of abstract works. How would you describe the painting? Maybe you could take some time out of your day to visit the Slight Gray Art Gallery, But that is all the time for me, everyone. This has been Eyes to Ears on Kodo. My name is Bella Eatman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Earlier this year, the U.S. Surgeon General released a warning on social media's negative effects on young people. KOTO's Grace Richards hit the streets to hear from Telluride parents and youngsters. 
What do you think about social media's impact on young people? I think it definitely makes them compare things more with other people. I feel like it's kind of inspirational, but at the same time, I feel like I can be doing better things. A lot of negativity out there. I think it depends on how old the kid is and how much people are talking to them, like adults in their lives are talking to them about it and the negatives and positives of it. Kind of taken the presence out of um, relationships. It causes a lot of people to start living their life in a performative way. Everybody seems like they have to try and have some type of status. A lot of young people have like false ideas of what like society like wants them to be or what they should look like. Especially for women, I've noticed it really affects their perception of body image. As a kid who hasn't yet learned their own place in this world or how they feel about their own body and their relationship of their body to the world around them and the people around them, it can be really dangerous. The impact of social media on children is scary. There's a lot of things I wish they weren't exposed to it at their age. I personally don't have it because I honestly think it's really damaging. And um, I honestly started to get a lot more of my day out of my day after I deleted it off my phone. I'm a teacher at the school district, and I can speak two parts. One, students and watching their self-esteem and just being scared of them fitting in. But now, as a mother of young children, that's the thing I'm like most scared of moving forward. Is there a big impact on children? Yes. Am I seeing it even with third through sixth graders? Yes. Do I wish I could protect my future children from it? Absolutely. I am KOTO reporter Grace Richards. As summer takes flight, the Wilkinson Library is offering a series of bird walks led by ornithologist Katie Triest. The first walk will meet next Tuesday, June 27th at 9 a.m. on the Pine Street Bridge below the Bear Creek Trail. Walks will not be vigorous, but still, join prepared for light movement and a couple hours outdoors in the calm of the Telluride morning, listening to birdsong. Binoculars and bird books are optional, and the library has some available for checkout. Two future walks will take place on Tuesdays later in the summer. For bluegrass festivarians in Telluride last weekend, the next scene might seem familiar, if a bit more severe. On Wednesday evening, a concert at the Red Rocks Amphitheater outside of Denver was canceled when a fast-developing storm released golf ball-sized hail on the gathered crowd. Although the storm let up after less than a quarter hour, ten attendees caught in the hail were hospitalized with injuries, many with broken bones. Nearly a hundred others were treated on site by first responders. In a statement, the Red Rocks venue thanked first responders and offered its condolences to those injured, adding between, quote, wildfire, snow showers, torrential rains, and hail, it's been a crazy six weeks in the foothills, unquote. Governor Jared Polis this week announced he would pardon people for crimes related to psychedelic drugs like magic mushrooms. Polis made the remarks at the Psychedelic Science Conference happening in Denver. Axios reports Polis said that legalizing psychedelics doesn't go far enough. 
He asked the state legislature to give him the authority to issue mass pardons for prior psychedelic drug convictions. Back in 2021, Polis pardoned more than 1,300 people for marijuana possession. Last Friday, the Chilchin Bito chapter of the Navajo Nation held a groundbreaking ceremony for a new convenience store. As KSUT and KSJD's Clark Adamitis reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio, that's big news for the community. On Saturday, Navajo Nation Tribal Council member Shondin Paris posted the news to her Instagram and Facebook page. The community of Chilchinbito would have a new convenience store and multi-purpose center. At about 27,000 square miles, the Navajo Nation is approximately the size of West Virginia, but there are just 13 grocery stores and 21 convenience stores on the reservation. We get a lot of uh, tourism. Eugene Bedoni is the manager for the Chilchinbito chapter of the Navajo Nation. Come through the uh, Chilchinbito chapter, although they do not stop at the chapter, but they go through never having to stop to... uh, Drop off a single penny here. Bodoni says in addition to revenue from Monument Valley tourists, the convenience store will allow some 1,000 people to buy food and gas locally. It's hard to get out to Kienta to go another 30 miles to get grocery and gas and other personal needs. It just does not cut it. We must have the store available here. The chapter has been planning the construction of the multi-purpose facility since 2005. The tribe used $1,150,000 in American Rescue Plan funds to build it. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. Saturday, June 24th, marks one year since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the constitutional right to an abortion. The ruling led to increased demand for abortions in Colorado and historic steps from the state legislature to protect reproductive health care. As KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports, advocates are still pushing to further expand access. When the Supreme Court's decision dropped last June, Colorado Democrats were already working to secure access to abortions in the state. They had passed legislation that spring codifying the right to an abortion in state law. But with federal protections gone, they knew they had to do more. Here's Senator Sonia Jaquez-Lewis. All the legislators and all the advocates thinking about reproductive rights and thinking about uh, how do we protect abortion care in Colorado. Democratic control of the legislature and the governor's office allowed the party to pass a package of reproductive health bills this year. Lawmakers also want to do more to expand access, especially as other states move to restrict abortion. Abortion is health care. And so I think that the future is really increasing personal freedoms and increasing uh, access to to quality health care. One of the new laws blocks crisis pregnancy centers from offering unproven abortion reversal treatments. It's now on hold due to a legal challenge in federal court. Two others took effect earlier this year. One requires private insurance companies to cover abortions. Another shields out-of-state patients and their providers from interstate prosecution. It's a response to the influx of patients coming to Colorado for abortions from states that have criminalized reproductive health care in the wake of the Supreme Court decision. My primary job is providing abortions and complex contraception care um, at the Comprehensive Women's Health Center. Dr. Nancy Fang is based in Aurora. She says the new laws are reassuring to providers who are afraid of being targeted. 
that shows us that people at the legislative level are thinking about us and that they care about the patients and the providers um, who are trying to, to protect reproductive health. More than a dozen states have now fully banned abortions, including Colorado neighbors Oklahoma and Texas. Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains found that two out of five abortion patients in Colorado are now from out of state. CEO Adrian Mancinara says Colorado's political trajectory in recent years set it up as a haven for reproductive health care. We have a welcoming environment and champions who've been elected to protect the right of reproductive health care. But she and other advocates say there's more work to be done. Karen Middleton heads reproductive rights organization Cobalt. She says a lot of people who need care fall through the cracks even in a state like Colorado. People with money and people of wealth have been able to figure out how to access an abortion, whether they're in Texas or Colorado, but that people who don't have access to resources, don't have access to the information, don't have health insurance or access to health care are very often left behind. Many of those are people of color, rural Coloradans, and the unhoused. That's in part because the Colorado Constitution blocks the use of public money for abortions, including for those on Medicaid. Cobalt, Planned Parenthood, and other advocates are working with Democratic lawmakers on a ballot measure to change that. It would amend the state constitution to guarantee access to reproductive health care and would ensure that all insurance covers abortions. What we're doing is making sure that if you work for the university, a local you know, state-run university or the state of Colorado, that you can use your own private health insurance to pay for something that voters have said as a part of health care. The measure's authors want to put it on the ballot in 2024. For KUNC, I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low in the high 30s and wind gusts reaching 35 miles per hour. Saturday calls for sun with a high near 75 and windy conditions. Saturday night should be mostly clear with a low near 40. Sunday, expect mostly clear skies with a high approaching 80 degrees, followed by a clear night with a low near 45. This has been the news for Friday, June 23rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.